Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. You'll recall last week I was talking about Kristallnacht, right? The uh, 80th, I believe, anniversary of Kristallnacht. It was 1938. Yeah, that would be the 80th anniversary is November 9th. It's about two weeks from now. And we've now had our Kristallnacht. I'm not sitting here saying that I was prescient or anything, but it certainly seems like that's it. This is it. And the Republican Party, I mean, here we have a party that is pro-war, pro-gun, pro-death penalty, voted against denying guns to terrorists or the mentally ill, sowing the seeds of racial hatred, opposing food stamps for kids. All this stuff, it's like the Republican Party has morphed into a death cult, it seems to me. And the question in my mind is, how do you deprogram the victims of a death cult. This happened to the people living in Nazi Germany. I knew some of these people. Louise and I lived in Germany back in the 80s. I knew some old Nazis. They literally had been programmed. It happened in Japan. And the thing that broke the programming for those two death cults was losing in the war. What's it going to take here? Congressman Ro Khanna is with us. He's a congressman from California. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website is Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Congressman Connor, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back on. How do we deprogram the people who have been so aggressively programmed by Fox News and right wing hate radio and now the mainstream Republican Party, frankly, into this to use the quote from Milton Mayer's book, I believe it is, this orgy of hate and fear? What's well, a uh, challenging and difficult question especially as we see the incidents of violence break out across the country in a way we haven't seen for uh, decades. I don't have a magic solution. One person suggested that where you have universities and colleges in community colleges, you've seen greater appreciation for diversity and a greater appreciation for free thinking, and that we ought to be really looking at expanding those institutions of higher learning and expanding preschool education across America and into parts of the community. I mean, I think that it's a long-range process of how do we get a liberal arts-type education or people questioning information they're receiving, and it's not some short-term fix. Yeah. It seems also that there's, like, institutional stuff. I may not have these details right, but I'm pretty sure I do, that during the Reagan administration, Bill Bennett, as the education secretary, who had his very, very short run for president, his main thing was abolishing the Department of Education, which, of course, is why Reagan put him in charge of it. My understanding is that they took civics out of the recommended you know, national standards. They weren't mandatory national standards, but the recommended standards for education. And now some minority of our schools apparently teach civics. Right. So what do we do? Well, you know, I mean, the question I would ask Will Bennett, and then I'll ask, answer your question. Remember when he wrote that book, The Death of Outrage, after a uh, Bill Clinton scandals. I mean, where is William yeah. Bennett these days? I mean, well, he where, wrote the where? little book of virtues, too. I, he might have passed away. I mean, you know, he had that huge gambling scandal. Well, I don't want to speak ill of him, but yeah. where are the people who shared his view and were clamoring for virtue and criticizing the death of outrage? I mean, why don't you hear any of those voices with what Trump has done in making a mockery of the presidency? I mean, there's been silence. But look, I think 
having some basic civic education and teaching folks about the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Gettysburg Address, the I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King's letter from Birmingham jail, his speech about militarism in the Vietnam War, some basic things about American history would be the part of the answer in combating propaganda that is totally inconsistent with our founding. I mean, our founders, though not perfect, were really philosophers. I mean, they had this sense of the Enlightenment ideal of knowledgeable citizens. It was a very small group of citizens, white male property owners. But amongst those citizens, they thought you ought to have education and you ought to have reason and you ought to have debate and you really ought to read. And we are so far away from that in terms of what constitutes political discourse that a return to some of the basic principles that founded this country and bringing that into education and education in every part of the country. I think that is the only long-term way that you combat the ignorance and the hate. Yeah. And yet there's this both sidesism that makes me crazy. I don't see Hallie Jackson's MSNBC show is on 7 a.m. here on the West Coast, and I watched the first 10 minutes of it or so this morning. And she started out with John Kasich, the Republican governor from Ohio who was doing his both sidesism, you know, well, both sides have to tone back the rhetoric. I'm sorry, I'm not hearing this kind of hateful rhetoric on our side, number one. And number two, then she ended that segment with a clip from Ronald Reagan talking about how we can't have racism in the United States. It's a terrible thing. As if that was like Reagan's position. Reagan's first speech after he was was in yeah Philadelphia, Mississippi, where Schwerner, Cheney, and Goodman were murdered, and it was a speech to an exclusively white audience on states' rights. Here's the Bill Bennett clip that I was looking for. See again, these guys they've been catering to the racists since the 1980s. This is Bill Bennett, the former Secretary of Education. I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, you could if that were your sole purpose. You could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. That would be an impossible, ridiculous, and morally reprehensible thing to do. But your crime rate would go down. And, wow. You know, and nobody even freaked out when he said that back in the 80s. Amazing. I mean, it's, it's just a shocking. When you think about historical figures and you wonder how they said certain things, this is an example of someone in contemporary times spewing that kind of hate. Uh, yeah. It's just shocking. I think you can draw a straight line from Reagan's speech in Philadelphia and Bill Bennett's comments like that. I mean, these kinds of comments came out of the Reagan administration regularly. They were just very rarely discussed. The other thing that, that blows my mind, I'm sorry to monopolize you here. I will turn you over to our callers no, in just I've... a second. But the other thing that blows my mind is that the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, there's three pieces to it that are really pretty major. In fact, let me get the exact quote here. The first major piece of it is exactly what the shooter tweeted out an hour before he committed the murder. There's a Jewish organization called HIAS, H-I-A-S, yep. and I'm looking for what exactly that's an acronym for, but it's a Jewish group that helps refugees. And originally, mostly they helped Jewish refugees, and now they're helping refugees from all over the world. Here's his tweet from just before he went to shoot these guys up, these people in the synagogue. HIAS likes to bring invaders into our country who kill our people. I can't stand by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics. I'm going in. And then on October 20th, in response to a National Refugee Shabbat event that was put on by Hyas, he tweeted in response to them because they had just listed the addresses of 300 Jewish congregations in 33 states that were celebrating the work of Hyas. His response to them, and I'm not sure this was a tweet, it might have been a Facebook, it simply says alongside a link in the New York Times. He said, you like to bring in hostile invaders to dwell among us? Question mark. We appreciate the list of friends you have provided, period. In other words, the list of synagogues. This synagogue was on that list. So you've got that. You've got the fact that the shooter was using an AR-15, which is why he was able to kill so many people and take out four cops. I mean, he didn't kill them, but he shot four cops. And they were wearing body armor. And then, of course, you've got the anti-Semitism. And it seems like everybody's focusing on the anti-Semitism, which is huge and important, and it's a crisis in America. But I think that Trump's going off on the caravan, and he's back to it again this morning, was probably the thing that actually triggered this guy or pushed this guy to do this particular act in this particular synagogue at this particular time. Your well, thoughts? Tom, I appreciate you raising the issue of Hyas because there's a beautiful piece by Lev 
Golink in the New York Times, and Lev is someone I know. He came to this country when he was nine in 1980, and he talks about how Hayes helped him and his mother and his family come to the United States from the Soviet Union and what Hayes meant. And he talks about how Hayes now is actually not helping primarily Jews because the focus is on refugees more broadly and why that has engendered so much hate. So you're absolutely right that the primary motive of this shooter seems to be a concern of immigrants coming into the United States. And there was an article I read where the right has this novel, The Camp of Saints. I don't know if you've read it, but it's this French novel talking about people actually, of all places, India, coming in in boatloads, a million Indians to invade France. Oh, my God. It's like the Turner Diaries. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And HIAS stands for the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, as we were just discussing. So did you want to finish that thought? Very quickly, I would just recommend Lev Glonklin's piece in the New York Times about the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society and what they're doing. And then I was shocked about this novel, The Camp of Saints, where it really shows the paranoia of some of these conservative nativists, where they're really concerned about an invasion, which is totally non-factual. But that is what Trump is intentionally stoking those fears. And we shouldn't be surprised if it's inciting violence. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Turner Diaries? I am not. The Turner Diaries is a novel that was published in the late 60s, early 70s. And in this novel, the hero of the novel blows up the federal building in Oklahoma City. And in response to that, the Democratic president bans all guns in the United States. And in response to that, the good Christian white people come out with their guns and a mass slaughter ensues. And all the people of color and all the Jews are dead at the end of the novel. And a new Christian white society is emerging out of the ashes and everybody's singing and holding hands. And that novel became the animating vision of what we would today call the hard right back in the 70s and continues to be a bestseller in those circles. And that was what inspired Timothy McVeigh. He blew up the very building they talked about in the novel on a date that was significant to the novel. I will have to look at it and read it. I mean, partly we have to know what the ideological underpinnings of what's causing some of this hate, because some of these folks just say, oh, this is someone who's a nutcase or an individual actor, and that's not true. There is a systematic ideology that is feeding this violence that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and I can save you some time or the trouble of reading a very, very poorly written but well-read novel. (laughs) If you Google Turner Diaries in quotes and my name in quotes, you'll find several op-eds that I wrote about it more than a decade ago after I read the book. Well, I'll read that. I'd rather read that than uh, a poorly written novel. That have a lot of excerpts that that you'll find useful. What are your thoughts on what's going on right now? I think we're facing the type of violence we haven't seen since the 1960s. The difference is, in the 60s at least, there was more of a political consensus on combating that violence. And now you have many in the party not willing to confront some of the hate that is animating violence. So it's a scary time. And I think it's a time of requiring great courage from people across communities to stand up for values of openness and pluralism and tolerance and decency, knowing that we're facing violence on the other side. Yeah, it truly is. And we so need somebody in the White House who, you know, the way Lyndon Johnson sued the country after the assassination of Jack Kennedy and after the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and and Martin Luther King or, you know, after 9-11, well, I don't know. I'm kind of ambivalent about Bush's response to 9-11, but... uh, At least he looked out for Muslim Americans. I mean, I I totally disagreed with Bush, but at least there was some reservoir of Americanness in him that's totally missing from this president. Yeah, it's tragic. Marty in Farmington, Michigan. You are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi. uh, Good to talk to you folks. On the subject of dangerous propaganda, I'm very concerned that Trump is dominating the political messaging through his rallies. And a question for the congressman, I'm wondering why the Democrats don't organize a truth squad to follow Trump around to these rallies. You know, the way local news covers news events, they'll tend to look to try to present both sides. So I think if the Democrats had some attractive spokespeople at every rally, the cameras would spend some time talking to the Democrats, get their response to what Trump presented in his rally. 
Well, I'd say it's an intriguing idea. I mean, first, uh, it's going to take a lot of courageous folks to go on those tours because Trump has incited violence at some of his rallies, telling uh, people in the rallies that it's okay to punch people or it's okay to uh, strike back. And, of course, they don't let in anyone but uh, Trump acolytes into the rallies. But organizing something uh, nearby to try to get the attention of the media seems to me uh, worth trying. I mean, look, the media gave Trump hours and hours of free coverage during the presidential campaign where they were covering these rallies uninterrupted. And if you ask them why, it was all for ratings. And so maybe that would break through. I do think we can have our own rallies. I mean, the person who's attracted that kind of energy on our side has been Bernie Sanders, who can get thousands of people and maybe Beto O'Rourke in Texas and see if we can uh, try to organize these kind of rallies across America on our issues. Yeah, I saw on Saturday that Bernie did a rally either Friday or Saturday that had like 15,000 people. I mean, it was just absolutely huge. And it was for a congressperson that I'd never even heard of. And no coverage. No coverage. Why not? Yeah, no, I mean, Bernie was shut out of coverage for the longest time in the presidential campaign. And I think the media continues to ignore him on some of these rallies. Maybe if he announces for president, it's one of the reasons I think he should run. They'll be forced to cover him this time. But I would love to see the media covering Bernie's rallies on issues like mass incarceration and uh, wage equality and other other things, because I do think the energy he has at these rallies on a positive agenda for the Democrats could break through. Yeah, I saw part of it. It was all issues. He was not calling names. It, you know, it's it's like the, the antithesis of Donald Trump. Congressman Ro Khanna represents the 17th District of California. Vice Chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus taking your calls. And you can reach Congressman Khanna's website at khanna.house.gov. And you can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A. BlindsGalore.com was the first place you could buy custom window treatments online. And because of that, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for over 20 years and have covered over 2 million windows and know exactly how to get you the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. They made it easy for Louise and me to go in and order. It was a breeze. It will be for you, too. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or shades for any reason, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, you can exchange it for another covering for free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know we sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. Joan in Nashville, Tennessee, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Just let me say I'm 74 years old, and the state of the country right now is new for whites, so therefore it's news, and it's a crisis. African Americans lived, have lived through the same state of tension and violence ever since we've been in this country. So now it's a problem because it's negatively affecting whites. If racism is to be erased, it can only be done by whites. Black people cannot do it for whites. Only whites can. And I'm not saying that whites who define themselves as non-racist should confront the racist in a violent way. But they need to call them out. Each and every time they make statements like we see and have heard that these races make. And even if it means alienating your friends and family, it's something that you have to do. And whites alienate their friends and families all the time when they take uh, an opposite political position. So why not on racism? You know, if a black person encounters a white person who respects them as a human being, then that black person is more likely to generalize that experience to all whites. Whereas if a white experiences a positive 
situation with a black person, they will not then generalize that positive experience to all black people. And you just, I mean, it's, it's, it's just pervasive. Now you see on TV, during the commercials and in the different sitcoms and other shows, where you have different variations of families. It includes uh, different ethnicities. That's something that America could have been doing all along, you know, since the invention of TV, but now they're just now doing it. And, you know, racism is something that was created by whites. It's perpetuated by whites. And I can understand why, because they think that it benefits them. And that's, you know, I can understand that. But, you know, when they talk about playing the race card, the race card is never out of play. It's always on the table. And I just learned this over the weekend. The last Democratic president who was elected with a majority of the white vote, in other words, the last Democratic president for whom more than 50 percent of whites voted, was Lyndon Johnson in 1964. In 1965, he signed the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and never again did a majority of whites vote for any Democrat, up till this day. Never has happened again. And, you know, of course, Richard Nixon went in and said, okay, we'll scoop up, you know, all the white people in the South and turn them into Republicans. You are absolutely right, Joan, in my opinion, and it's far more pervasive, I think, than even most white people realize. Especially black people talk a lot about Lincoln, but he had his reasons for doing what he did, which was to save the Union. He didn't necessarily care about the freedom of black people. Yep. But with Lyndon Johnson, and, and I put him even over FDR because the programs that FDR instituted, black people were not able to benefit from in the very beginning. And even now, because our lifespan is shorter than whites, I mean, when you think about Social Security. Mm. But with Lyndon Johnson, he did the morally decent thing, and he knew the political cost when he did it, but he did it anyway. To me, that is a true leader. Amen. Congressman Connie, thank you, John. Thank you for the call. Uh, Congressman Connie, your thoughts? Well, I appreciate uh, Joan's perspective, and obviously it comes from a life experience and great wisdom, and I think it's important what she said about uh, FDR. I, I was down South with Jim Clyburn, and we were talking about FDR and the new rights, and I was uh, enthusiastic about uh, FDR's philosophy, and Jim Clyburn said to me, you realize, Ro, African Americans didn't get to participate in most of the programs of the New Deal, and made uh, Jones' point that it was really Lyndon Johnson who opened up those programs. So I would take away two things. One is to realize when we're talking about uh, the New Deal or government programs, we have to be mindful of uh, the country's history of exclusion of African Americans and the minority population, and really take that to heart going forward. And two, uh, Joan reminded me of Tanezi Coates's article about Trump being a white president, and he, he's making the point that African Americans have been dealing with a lot of these issues for many years, but it's now that the issues are affecting white America that there is a greater attention. We should just continue to be mindful of the racism and stereotypes that afflict this community. And uh, I think there was a, a, some ho naive hope when Obama was elected that uh, we had moved past uh, some of this, at least in my generation. And uh, it's been a chilling reminder that uh, many of these problems uh, persist and we still have a lot of work to do. Amen. Walter from Northridge, California. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. If that's me. Yeah, that's you. I we mean, have just one minute to the I'm end of the hour right. here, sir. I, I'm very, very eager to see the good people seize the press much better. I do think that from our point of view, congressmen, and that's progressive, thoughtful, rational people, there's an overwhelming majority of people who are eager to see everybody vote. Okay. And that that ought well, to Walter, be I have to stop you at that point. We have 30 seconds left. Congressman, your thoughts? I agree with the uh, caller in that there are an overwhelming members, a number of people who are progressive or decent, who seek leadership. And I think we have to go directly to the people. You talked about Bernie Sanders' town hall. I mean, I think we've got to go have these rallies across America on issues of 
health care, minimum wage, mass incarceration, getting out of bad wars, and have people mobilize uh, on our side. That's the only way we're going to defeat the uh, kind of propaganda uh, and closed-mindedness of the president's rallies. And we need someone, people on our side, who are going to have that energy, fire, and ability to mobilize people uh, directly uh, and go around uh, traditional media stations directly to the people. Amen. Congressman Ro Khanna, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank sir. you. Good talking with you. His uh, website, Khanna.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I've made reference to the Trump crime family in the past, and uh, increasingly it's looking like that's not just some kind of weird slogan. Heather Vogel is with us. She's a reporter with ProPublica, previously was a reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We used to read regularly, a great newspaper. ProPublica.org is the website, and uh, her Twitter handle is hvogel, V-O-G-E-L-L. Heather, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me on. I regularly read uh, ProPublica's app, and I came across the, this article, these articles that uh, you wrote. I'm, I'm not sure if you wrote both of them. One of them was kind of a deep dive into how Ivanka, her brother Don, and particularly Donald Trump were basically scamming people, lying to investors and ripping them off and walking away with the money. And then another one was a list of all the projects where they pulled this off. Can you tell us about this? We took a really deep look at one of their real estate deals, but we also took kind of a a quicker look across a dozen deals that the Trump Organization has been involved in over the last, uh, you know, about 14 years or so. Um, And what we found was a pattern of deceptive practices um, is sort of stretched across those projects, across countries, across time. Um, And we found, you know, there were, you know, maybe two, there were two primary elements to it that involved the Trumps very directly. Um, and uh, I can, do you want me to just uh, sure. go ahead? Go and for tell you what, okay, yeah, please. Great. Um, so the first was, um, in these projects, Trump is brought in, he's a licensor, so he's, he's really putting his name on the project. Um, but he typically, in most of these cases, had no um, equity or no stake in the, deve- in the development, and he wasn't the developer. In other words, he puts but, no money into it. Just exactly. Right. Exactly. He wasn't. He had very little risk, basically. But he would go out and say, you know, say things that were suggestive that would lead people to think that he was either the developer or that he had uh, a financial stake in the project, had invested his own money in it. Um, and this happened repeatedly. Many um, projects, from Panama to um, statements uh, Ivanka made in Baja. Um, there was a Tampa project um, where he said he had put a substantial stake in. And he, he wanted to increase it, but units were selling so great that he couldn't. <laughs> um, and the, the problem with those types of statements are that uh, buyers are using them to evaluate um, how safe and solid the, the uh, investment is and how um, how much of a risk they'd be taking by investing. And when they see someone like him, who claims to be sort of a financial real estate guru, out there suggesting that he's put his own money in it, um, that leads to sort of a false confidence. It leads them to, you know, sort of throw their money in, too, um, when, in fact, he did not really have Isn't that fraud on his part? Well, I can't, I can't say that. Um, it's a good question. It was one of the questions that we raised, certainly. Um, and we talked to one former federal prosecutor who said that uh, some of the deceptive practices we were describing did um, resemble uh, elements of fraud cases that he'd seen prosecuted and investigated. Um, so that question's out there. There, there was a case in Soho where there was a, a criminal investigation. Um, prosecutors, there were prosecutors here that wanted to um, make a case against the Trumps. Uh, you know, one of the statements they made was that they were the developer. Another very common misstatement they made was to inflate the number of sales that had already been made. And remember, these are new buildings. And so people are kind of making commitments. They're putting their down payment down even before the unit's been built, built yet. Um, so it's, all, it's, it's more risky than sort of, you know, buying into a building that's already there. And so the Trumps, you know, would go out in a number of cases and say things like, um, you know, Ivanka would say in Soho, we're 60% sold when, you know, documents showed later that really it was only 15%. Um, in Panama, she said they were more than 90% sold at one point. And it was at a, at a critical point when the ratings agency, right, right around when the ratings agency was considering a downgrade, which they did a couple months later. Um, but she said they were over 90% sold. And, you in fact, it was um, 79% at best, and a lot of those buyers end up walking away. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So these are very sort of specific uh, statements that they made that were uh, demonstrably false in a number of cases. Wow. So we basically have a grifter as president and a grifter and his daughter as one of his principal advisors. And her husband, his father, went to jail for being a grifter in this sort of thing in investment uh, scams. What do we do with this? You know, I mean, I think it's one of these things where these projects are, you know, they're spread out over time, they're spread out over jurisdictions. Um, Buyers have filed a lot of lawsuits. Um, A lot of those have settled. There's been a couple of cases um, where Trump has won. Um, They were cases, uh, you know, my understanding is they were cases where a judge looked at the contract and found that um, the actual sales contract had all the necessary disclosures um, and did not, you know, make a finding in favor of, of the buyers. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, they've, they've gone through the civil route in a lot of places. Um, there were considerations of criminal charges in Soho. Some of the behavior may have be outside the statute of limitations at this point. Um, you know, they're really, it's, it's really an open question about whether anything happens from here. Um, but certainly a lot of people were hurt in these, um, in these deals because so many of them went belly up. Um, and when they went belly up, what happened right. to the Trumps? Uh, well, that, that's what's interesting about it. Um, and that's actually what drew me to the story was I, I was taking a look at his real estate deals, the more recent ones, and what I was really struck by how many of them um, failed, bankrupt, you know, foreclosed, never built, started, weren't, you know, construction wasn't finished. And it just raised this question to me about, what, you know, why is he doing this over and over? Uh, and, and also, why are people partnering with him? Because um, he's got a number of different partners in these deals. Um, and uh, what, what I found out was that his licensing agreements um, provide often um, a pretty sizable upfront fee, and then some of it is um, predicated on you know the, the percentage of sales and things like that. But we found clauses like one in Panama where uh, even for unsold units, he would still get paid, even if units weren't sold by a certain time, um, he would get paid per unit, for, even for the unsold units. So. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of money that he could get um, without the project having to perform um, very successfully. So he cuts a deal with a local developer to build a Trump building. He charges them a whole bunch of upfront money, millions and millions of dollars for the use of his name. He promotes the deal. People put money in, uh, into it. And a piece of that money is instantly skimmed off the top and given to Trump as his licensing fee or as his fee for that. And then the thing goes belly up. It declares bankruptcy. There's no way to claw that money back from Donald Trump. So him and Ivanka walk away with the money, and the investors are stuck with the bankruptcy, getting pennies on the dollar. Am I understanding what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, when the project went bankrupt in Panama in 2013, he did shave his fees um, by $20 million. But from our estimate, he still received 30 to $55 million uh, on that project. And what's, to me, one of the more striking things about that project um, to me was that there, so it was financed with a corporate bond. So people bought bonds uh, in order to, you know, it's basically sort of a way of lending their money to the project. Uh, $220 million in bonds were sold. Now, eventually, on that principle, only $120 million, uh, I'm sorry, there was $120 million that was not ultimately paid back, is what one investor told me. Um, so, um, you know, but he, again, still made between 30 and $55 million from what we can um, figure out. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, there were interest payments, too, the, so they didn't. Uh, the one thing that, you know, I mean, it just blows my mind that the, that the Republicans held years and years of congressional hearings and lots and lots of hyperventilation that Hillary Clinton was talking on an insecure server in her email, in her personal email from home, which never was even hacked. And, and they have nothing to say about the fact that Donald Trump is using an unsecure iPhone in the White House over the loud objections of everybody from the Secret Service to the NSA, um, you know, doing something far worse. Similarly, uh, you know, I, I, the Whitewater was a land deal that Bill Clinton invested in back before he was governor of Arkansas, where he and Hillary lost $35,000. It, 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 it went down in flames, just like so many of Trump's hotels. And the Republicans pursued him on this for years. I mean, for six or seven years until they finally found Monica. And, and, and Trump is doing far worse in case after case after case. Where are the Democrats on this? You know, I didn't, I didn't examine that political element of, um, of the story at that point. But, uh, you know, he, um, we tried to contact, uh, we contacted the White House, we contacted Trump Organization, uh, we gave them, you know, a very lengthy list of questions sort of detailing all of this, you know, line by line, what we found and gave them a chance to respond. And we never heard back. 
uh, is absolutely remarkable. Heather, you're doing great reporting. Heather Vogel with uh, ProPublica. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the program and for, and for doing this important writing. I, I strongly recommend anybody who's listening or watching the program right now go over to ProPublica.org and you can tweet Heather at H Vogel, V-O-G-E-L-L. Heather, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. All Good right, talk take care. You. Nice meeting you. We'll be back. Riduzone. If you struggle to lose weight, listen carefully. Riduzone works. I've never before endorsed a weight loss product, but I've seen the result firsthand with my brilliant wife, Louise, who, like so many, has had her share of diet frustrations. Losing weight is hard, right? Louise heard about Riduzone. She did her homework, learned it's FDA accepted, and that it helps us lose weight in a revolutionary way. Riduzone comes out of university research that discovered a molecule that helps regulate appetite. When it's out of whack, we're always hungry and crave foods we shouldn't eat. And good luck losing weight when you're already starving on day one. Louise tried Riduzone. She looks amazing. And I've never, never seen her this excited about a weight loss product. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Riduzone. Go to tryriduzone.com and use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to receive up to 65% off on your order and free shipping. That's tryriduzone.com, promo code TOM. This is the Tom Hartman Program. How do you deprogram a third of the country if they are cult members, essentially? And we're going to get into guns, immigration, and anti-Semitism. Hey, thanks so much for your support for the Tom Hartman Program, along with your support for Free Speech TV. We deliver our program, of course, to commercial stations, which is how we pay our bills uh, through the revenue from running advertising. And you can learn more about those at our website at TomHartman.com. But we also share our program with non-commercial outlets from Free Speech TV to Pacifica stations all over the country. And because with the Pacifica radio stations, there's basically no revenue coming in. The way that we support our nonprofit outreach is in large part through Patreon. And, you know, over at Patreon, people who support our program at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Um, people who support our program there get you know special little clips and there's a few other goodies, uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff. But that's principally, if you want to support the Tom Hartman program, um, that's the way to do it is to get over to patreon.com slash Tom Hartman and check out what we're doing and support our program. Thank you. Brian Krasenstein is just tweeted this morning, under Trump's watch, we have had the deadliest massacre of Jews in United States history. We have had the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. That was Las Vegas. We've had the deadliest high school shooting in U.S. history. That was Parkland. And we have had the biggest political assassination attempt in U.S. history, which was the bombing attempt this week to take out virtually the entire leadership of the out-of-power Democratic Party. These new milestones, shall we say. You'll recall last week I did a whole hour on Kristallnacht. Now, the anniversary of Kristallnacht is not going to come for two and a half weeks. It was November 9th, 1938. But, and, and so the 80th anniversary will be November 9th of 2018. And, and, uh, but, I, but I wanted to talk about it a couple of days ago, you know, last week, because I just, it just felt in the air like this is how it had to have been in Germany in the days leading up to Kristallnacht, the night of the broken glass, two nights of rage when 100 Jews were killed and thousands of Jewish homes and businesses had their windows smashed by followers of Trump, the German equivalent of the maggots here. And the Pittsburgh, I think it was the Gazette, the political cartoonist who is now retired but still occasionally does cartoons, just created a, uh, a cartoon of Kristallnacht. It showed the shattered glass on the, on the pavement and in front of the synagogue, and it said broken glass, which is what Kristallnacht, you know, it's, it means the night of the broken glass. So the two pieces of this that are basically not being discussed in the media are HIAS, H-I-A-S, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, and the AR-15. This guy was able to kill all these people and wound a whole lot more and, and, and shoot four police officers because he had an AR-15, because he had a weapon of war in one of our cities. He walked into a synagogue with a weapon of war. Why do we allow weapons of war on our streets? Please tell me why. I don't get it, right? And we've had this conversation many, many times, and we need to take the weapons of war off our streets. Full stop, number one. Number two, high ass. Hi, asked this, the, the guy who did the shooting 
in the in the synagogue. This fool who did this this this, this criminal. I, I lack words uh, that are not obscenities. He had posted a few weeks earlier on October twentieth. Hayas had had posted a link for information about the National Refugee Shabbat event where, you know, Hayas is helping refugees come into the United States. And he said, you like to bring in hostile invaders to dwell among us. We appreciate the list of friends you provided because they had posted a list of 300 Jewish congregations in 33 states. One of those was the synagogue. And then an hour before he shoots up the synagogue, he tweets, Hayas likes to bring invaders in who kill our people. I can't stand by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics. I'm going in. This is more than just anti-Semitism, although the anti-Semitism alone is horrible. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Going after Hayas, why would he do that? Well, because Trump is hysterical about the caravan. It's a, Trump has turned this whole thing into immigrants, right? It's all about immigration. Judd Legume, who used to be with the Center for American Progress, this thing Progress, and I'm not sure where he is or what he's doing these days, but here's the tweet from Judd Legume. He writes, breaking a civil RICO suit has been brought against the Trump Organization, Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and Ivanka Trump in the United States District Court for their participation in a pyramid scheme. And this is from the filing. From the, from the lawsuit. For more than a decade, the defendants, the Trump Corporation, Donald J. Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and Ivanka Trump, have operated a large and complex enterprise with a singular goal, to enrich themselves by systematically defrauding economically marginalized people looking to invest in their educations, start their own small businesses, and pursue the American dream. Central to defendants' fraudulent scheme was a company called ACN, a multi-level marketing company, that offers a business opportunity to individual participants. From 2005 to at least 2015, defendants received millions of dollars in secret payments to promote and endorse ACN. In return, Donald J. Trump told prospective investors that, quote, you have a great opportunity before you at ACN without any of the risks most entrepreneurs have to take. And that ACN's flagship video was, quote, doing half a billion dollars worth of sales a year, end quote. Trump also told investors he had experienced the opportunity and done a lot of research and that his endorsement was not for money. None of this was true, says the indictment. He notes this. The stories of the alleged victims are, are heartbreaking. Plate of Jane Doe is a resident of California who works as a hospice caregiver. In 2014, she attended a meeting for prospective ACN recruits. As she listened to the presentation, she was skeptical and unpersuaded. But then she saw a promotional video prominently featuring Trump. Trump's endorsement was her turning point. Doe watched clips of ACNs appearing on The Celebrity Apprentice, where Trump stood alongside the founders and praised the company. She listened as Trump said that investing in ACN was a great business opportunity, and the strength of the business opportunity is why she was endorsing it. She had no idea that Trump was being lavishly paid for his endorsement. The video made no mention of that. Despite her limited resources, she wrote a check for $499 in reliance on Trump's endorsement. In the two years that followed, she paid thousands of dollars in fees and expenses to attend their events. But ultimately, she had extremely limited success. She earned a single check of $38. Eventually, she realized that ACN was not at all what Trump had described and that she was going to continue losing money. When her next annual renewal date came up, she decided not to renew her position. And it goes on. I mean, they, they, they just, the whole pyramid scheme, it's all laid out. I'm going to uh, write at now as we speak. Actually, I'm going to write in a note here. The Trump crime family. Got to spell crime right. Family strikes again. I just retweeted it, so. Take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Super Beets by Human N has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of Human N is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon of Superbeats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real. We're talking healthy, natural energy. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the 1 plus 1 equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. Anyhow, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. 
Cliff. Cliff, I'm sorry, I don't have a city for you. Where are you calling from? Canyon Country, California. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, Cliff, what's up? Good morning to you. I've been listening, watching, calling your program for several years now, probably six or eight, I'm guessing, but um, they've never been real personal. It's usually uh, just various subjects of interest, you know, but today's different. My brother got um, bar mitzvah at Tree of Life hmm. in 1968. So my uh, connection to that neighborhood goes back pretty far. I got many, many friends that uh, went there to the temple for Hebrew school, for bar mitzvahs, confirmations, you know. I, I probably haven't been in that building since the 70s because I moved from Pittsburgh, uh, you know, in the 80s, but it's a great all-American middle-class neighborhood, Squirrel Hill. It's really, uh, it was really surreal watching uh, CNN, knowing the whole world was was watching my hometown for uh, such a horrendous tragedy. Yeah. So I've talked, I've talked to some people back there. They're stunned, um, but it's a close-knit community. They'll, they'll get through it. But you know, we've been witnessing these mass shootings and killings for. For years since Columbine, I mean, I, I lived in Austin in the '80s, so I, I knew yeah. about the. This has been going Charles on since Whitman. the Reagan administration. You know, I, I mean, I lived. I knew about the Charles Whitman Tower of in Austin. The, he was oh yeah, sniper. It was back he in the '60s, people. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that that it seemed like an anomaly, you know. It was. So now, Tom, we've had over 200 mass shootings just this year alone. Right. And 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 I've I've gotten desensitized to these these attacks, you know, because they happen so often. But this this one really hit home. Yeah. And uh, I just feel so bad for the people that have been affected back there but the, the sad reality Tom is this this isn't gonna do anything to advance the gun control debate I just don't think it will it, it why would it if it didn't happen at Sandy Hook or the pulse shooting or vague I mean it's just money in politics rules everything and well, it's not just that, Cliff. If, if Democrats controlled the House, the Senate, and the White House, we would have gun control. There would be sensible gun control in the United States. Uh, okay. you know, they've done it before. Bill Clinton did it in 1995 with the assault weapons ban. George W. Bush chose not to renew it in 2005, and that was the end of that. And in part, the only reason that the Republicans are holding power is because of voter suppression all across the country, but particularly in the red states. And they're holding power in these states, even where the majority of the voters are voting Democratic, or, or would like to vote Democratic, they're not allowed to at the polls. They don't have the right kind of ID. Student IDs are not allowed, but gun permits are. We're looking at criminal election fraud being done by the Republican Party in state after state, and it's been going on since the 80s. The Republican Party has turned into a criminal enterprise. Uh, but it's the money It's the money from the NRA that ultimately gets these politicians to vote in their favor, correct? Yeah. And, 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 then, and then the whole thing is, Tom, I, I mean, obviously these weapons of war, these assault weapons have to be banned, but, but if, if an individual has this intention to go out and harm people, kill people, for whatever reason, how can you stop them if, if nobody knows their intention until they act? So, okay, ban all the assault weapons, there's still handguns that can not do as much damage in such amount of time, but people will still be able to commit these acts, just maybe not you know, the numbers that they, they can with the assault weapon. Yeah. But it, it's No, it's as I, I said, there's there's there are three issues here. This guy's core anti Semitism and all the anti Semites who, who celebrate with him, his hatred of immigrants and thus, you know, this this synagogue's uh, being one of the three hundred in the country that supports the Hebrew immigration uh, immigrant aid society, Hias, and his specific saying that it was because of Hias that he was going to the synagogue to shoot it up. I mean, he, he said right. that an hour or two before he went and did this. And right, then yeah. the fact that he had access to, to a weapon of war and could carry it around in the streets of an American city. These three things, and we need to be talking about all three, in my opinion. And, and you know one other thing, Tom? As we sit here and speak, I'm pretty convinced that there's people out there that saw his number, say he, he did the most Jews ever in, you know, in this country, right. 11. You know, there's people out there saying, "I could, I could top that. I could beat him." Yep. There's people that have that in their mind right now that that think he, he's a hero, and they, but they want to go outdo what he did. Yep. That's the sickness. Yeah, it really and truly is, Cliff. It really and truly is, Cliff. Thank you for the call, and and I, 
Uh, and thank you for sharing the, the raw emotion of you know, your experience with us. It, it's got to be a real tough one. I, in your communication with the people back home in this neighborhood, uh, have, are, you're hearing messages of resilience? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's good. And I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing hatred. I'm hearing love. Yeah, that's, did you see the article about how, uh, how many Muslims have kicked in how many millions of dollars in little yes. tiny donations to Muslims all over the country to support the synagogue? I mean, that's amazing. Yes. It's very powerful. Yeah. So this is, this is what we need to do. We need to stand up and we need to say, no, we're not, we're not a hateful country. We are not a hateful people. We're not going to hate the haters. We are going to call them out. We're going to do everything we can using the law to stop them. And we're going to do everything we can to try to shame them in the process of calling them out so that they go back into the holes from which they have crawled in response to Donald Trump's dog whistle. Uh, Cliff, thank you for the call. It's good to hear from you. Let's check in with Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report, by the way, brought to you by GoatsfortheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. Hey, Ellen, what's going on in the world? Nice well, to have you back I'll with tell us. You, Donald Trump tweeted about the media. He said, there is great anger in our country caused in part by the inaccurate and even fraudulent reporting of news. I guess that means us. The fake news media, the true enemy of the people, must stop and open and obvious hostility and report the news accurately and fairly, that will do much more to put out the flames of anger and outrage than we'll be able to bring all sides together in peace and harmony. Give me a break. You know, when he does this, Ellen, I th I'm guessing nine times out of ten, in fact, according to uh, Media Matters and, and uh, NewsHounds.us, um, it, it probably is nine times out of ten. He's simply retweeting Fox News. And the thing that's amazing to me is how shocked America is because so few Americans actually watch Fox News and know how, how, how insanely intense the propaganda is over there. Well, uh, as you know, I'm a liberal on Fox News, so I'm not going to comment on that. Okay. But I will say <laughs> that, you know, the going after us, you and me, as fake news and yeah. some of the larger news organizations is crazy. Yeah, I but agree. But that's what he's doing. Yeah. Okay. Now, also, originally the president had uh, planned to send 800 troops to the southwest. Now he's sending 5,000, if you can believe that. And Mexico is giving people in the caravan temporary work permits, even though a second caravan is starting. Yeah. Well, in these caravans, I mean, it's not like there's an unusual number of people coming from Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador to the United States. It's just that instead of trying to make the trek alone and ending up, you know, raped, robbed, beaten, killed, uh, or, or, or sold into slavery, and I mean, literally those things, Absolutely. people are banding together for their own personal safety. That's what's going on. I mean, that's what, that's, that's exactly that's what the innovation is. Right. And Trump is trying to stop that. And, you know, under international rules, people get a right to a hearing yeah. when they cross the border. Yeah. And he's not doing that. Yeah. And this is not just international laws. These are also American laws. Right. OK. So now the, the, the what, what happened, I have to say, the Democrats are both sides. Um, but when the Trump administration got the House or when the Republicans got the House, they eliminated uh, an ability to check with the minority on subpoenas. Well, now what goes around comes around. And in fact, if the Democrats take the House, which we're, of course, hoping they do, uh, that they will now have subpoena power. Hmm. So what goes around comes around. Yeah, if, if, they can hold, if they can hold their caucus together. I mean, if, if the Democrats well, take the House by one or two votes, it's going to be really, really tough. If they take the, the House by... It's going to be tough, but I still think that they will hold the caucus together. I really do. Well, I, from your lips to God's ears, Ellen. Uh, okay. What else is up? As Secretary of Defense Mattis uh, is in... Uh, he's talking to NATO people. As you know, the president wants to eliminate the arms control treaty with the Soviet Union, saying the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union Russia is now cheating on it. Uh, but NATO is very, very concerned about it. So uh, Defense Secretary Mattis is trying to calm down everybody. Yeah. Um, also, the crash just after takeoff of an Indonesian airline killed 189 people. They haven't found any survivors. The 737 was a brand new 737. It was only in service since August. Uh, and the, pre uh, the pilot had radioed the tower right after takeoff that there were problems. 
uh, and there have been problems with the, the, it before, but nobody has found any evidence that anybody survived. Yeah, this is really sad. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, there was that plane um, a couple of months ago where the, one of the engines blew up, and it turned out that one of the tr a little tiny piece in one of the turbine blades was was uh, faulty or defective. Um, well, this isn't very good for, for, for Boeing, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Also, Angela Merkel uh, is stepping down as chancellor in 2021 when her term ends, but she's also stepping down from the CDU party, which is her party, the right-wing party. Right, the Christian uh, Democratic Union. Yes. Or no, well, it's not Christian have... Democratic Union. It's Christian, Do I, I forget. I it's in German, it yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Easy to go by the letter. They call themselves okay, the Christian yeah. Democrats. Right. Uh, Gab.com went offline because they could not find anybody to sponsor their website. As you know, the guy who was accused of killing all the people in Pittsburgh uh, did write on Gab.com. It was started by a right winger. And GoDaddy said that they are no longer giving Gab.com the ability to be on their website. Wow. So they're shutting down their domain, basically, if their domain is That's registered right. with GoDaddy. Basically. And nobody else is willing to take them. Huh. Yeah. Now, a former president, Jimmy Carter, is uh, he is uh, asking the Georgia secretary of state to resign. His name is Brian Kemp. He's running for governor uh, against Democrat Stacey Abrams, who's, by the way, I was informed because, you know, at my age, I have no uh, memory. But I met her parents down in Mississippi. She's actually from Mississippi, Stacey per uh, Abrams. Huh. How about that? So it's so six degrees like of separation. In your case, you know, one degree. Remarkable. Right. Exactly. Um, so then, of course, the other issue is health care and how important that's going to be in the midterm elections. A lot of people, the majority of voters in battleground areas and competitive elections, particularly in Florida and Nevada, are saying that health care is very important and so is protection of pre-existing conditions. Wow. Remarkable. Ellen Ratner. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Tom Harbin here with you. Steve Schmidt tweeting PBMUS over at Democratic Underground just posted this and, you know, tip of the hat for that. I, I would have missed it. Uh, this was posted yesterday and I was traveling back from L.A. yesterday. Steve Schmidt uh, tweeted the following. It's a it's a four tweet uh, rant. He says Gingrich looked into the camera and said that the election was about two things, Kavanaugh and the caravan all day, every day. Fox News and the Trump propaganda industry spews forth an unrelenting river of conspiracy theories, venom and lunacy. And like a precision guided munition, it finds its intended targets. Now, keep in mind, this is Steve Schmidt, the Republican election strategist who ran the John McCain for president campaign in 2008 when he when he ran against Barack Obama. It finds it finds its intended targets. Among them are the feeble minded, sick and racist. Its singular purpose is incitement, and it is working. A migration, a migration of poor and desperate human souls has been turned into an, ar an invading army, a panzer division about to crash through America's southern border. The intent is as malignant as it is purposeful. There is only one goal. That is to create a frenzy of craziness before an election where the American people will have their first opportunity to repudiate the vile and filthy regime led by Trump. Now we see the terrible cost of Trumpism, the lies, conspiracy theories, coded racist and anti-Semitic language, intimations of violence and declarations that opponents are enemies of the state. And people have activated the evil people who attempted the largest assassination plot in American history and gunned down 11 Americans at a temple in Pittsburgh. They have been radicalized by the contagious poison of an American president and his fellow travelers. The hour for pretending there is no causation between the rhetoric and the violence is over. The stated motives of these terrorists is a recitation of the message flowing like sewage from the White House, Fox News, Judicial Watch, Mark Levine, Limbaugh and Gingrich. It is not accidental and it is not coincidental. It is the deadly and inevitable consequence of Trump. Gary in Huntington, West Virginia. Hey, Gary, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Thank you once more. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because I was on the same wavelength with you last week. This is the continuing question. This is a central question, the continuing decline of democracy. What are we going to do about it? Right. 
what what are we going to do about it? Well, what we had to do, what we have to do is get, you know, because of the structural things that the Republicans have put into place and because of four decades of massive election fraud on the part of the of the, of the Republicans, including everything from purging voting lists to bizarre voter ID laws that as the Supreme Court in in uh, in North Carolina concluded were were surgically drawn to exclude people of color. Because of that, we have to not just win elections, we have to overwhelmingly win elections, which means we need to get out the vote. John in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. Hey, John, what's up? Real quick, Tom, I think the Democrats should start getting on Trump. When he t- says he's a nationalist, I think he's both a nationalist and a globalist. Because not only he has his hotels throughout the world, but he's also sanctioning a bunch of countries throughout the world. And uh, the petrodollars throughout the world, while well, it's, it's starting to be dropped, but Trump's more globalist than he is a nationalist. I think I think the Democrats should start getting on about that. Yeah, and the fact that uh, even the maggot hats are made in Mexico now. I mean, the last the last batch that I saw, you know, tweeted out, you know, where people are showing the made-in pictures before they were made in China. So I mean, you know, all these people who are running around saying I'm a maggot, you know, hey, maggot all. All of his merchandise is made overseas. His daughter's stuff was all made overseas before it came out that her business partner was a criminal, and she kind of shut it down before the investigation could get started. It's, well, let's start seeing ads. Democrats yeah. need to start running ads. It's one week left. Well, that's, so that is using Trump's meme, and that's the problem. You know, you're amplifying that very meme. Uh, I think just calling him a hypocrite rather than a globalist yeah. is the way to there do it. Go. So anyhow, John, thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. It's been a fascinating day. Thanks again to Jefferson Smith for filling in for me. He did a great job. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy requires all of us, and that means all of us, and you and me and your brother-in-law and your, your guy next door and your friends. And get them out to the polls. Get them voting. Please get out there. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.